Welcome to another edition of Fashion Council. My name is Anthony Lupo, and I have the pleasure of being joined by Brian Schneider. Brian's going to talk to us today about anti-competitive issues and pricing. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. Good to see you, Tony. Brian, you know, the number one question I get from most of my retail clients is, am I able to actually restrict and put provisions in that stop a distributor from reselling the product at a certain price point? Yeah, look, so the restrictions in Europe and the United States are very different. The United States has a lot more flexibility than if you're selling in Europe. So we're going to focus on the U.S., which is the antitrust laws that I know best. So the, the short answer is there's a spectrum of risk. The more control you have over price, the more risk there is. The more you're closer to a suggested price, like an MSRP, the less risk there is. In the middle is where a lot of our clients really want to play, is where they're balancing the risk with the control over downstream pricing. And where they end up doing is they either have a resale price policy, like a Colgate policy, or they have a MAP policy, a minimum advertised price policy. So let, let's take out the big plays in the retail space. So let's take out the, the, the biggest clients. On, on the whole, most retail clients don't have the market share that they would be a dominant player. Does this make a difference? By being as part of a highly competitive market where you are not a dominant player, you, you're competing day to day in the hustle and bustle, you have a lot more flexibility in, the, in your ability to control your downstream wholesalers. For example, uh, in the United States, one of the things you can do is you can restrict which wholesalers can sell online which can sell in certain regional markets or in certain retail markets. Uh, and so you can tell each of your wholesale, distributor, retail customers how and what uh, 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 pathways you want them to use. You know, one of the things that we've been really successful in doing is creating uh, resale policies where we restrict a distributor's right to, for example, sell online or sell in bulk. Uh, and I know that's much more difficult to do in, in the EU, but that is a path that you can do in the US assuming you're not a dominant player, correct? Right, you've got a lot more flexibility here. Right, so we, we could say, for example, that if you're gonna sell products in bulk, you can't sell more than 10 products in, a, in, a, in an order, and that would be acceptable. Sure, you can get really specific in the United States, and you can control each distributor or retailer differently. If you've got certain that perform better or perform in a different market and uh, can serve you in a different way, you can customize your agreement that way. Yeah, that's great. So I could say for distributor A, you're not allowed to sell on the internet, but I could give distributor B the right to sell on the internet and maybe even say you only can sell in the state of California. Absolutely. Right which is extremely different than the rules in the EU and a lot of other places. Absolutely. You can really think about the U.S. market when it comes to directing your your, uh, downstream customers, your retailers, your distributors, about how to sell your product. You have a lot more flexibility here. Now, the, the trick that many of these resellers play is they don't sell in bulk, but maybe they sell to another party and that other party ends up reselling. And now you're not in privity with that party. And so it's harder to enforce against the third party. Now, what I know we've done as a strategy has been to bake in a provision in those agreements that say that they try to pass these down to their their other, uh, what I would say, B2B type of sales. So if our reseller was selling to another shop uh, 
we would try to push those provisions through and have be a third party beneficiary. I've seen that done. Yeah, absolutely. So there are, there's a number of tactics you can take to try to control the downstream, the further downstream customer that you don't have a contract with. It's tougher for sure, but you can include provisions, like you said, that uh, require your customer to include certain terms in their downstream sales that then if they've done something wrong, you can either enforce it against your customer or in some cases you can, you can go against the, the downstream uh, retailer as well. So is it your advice if you were setting this up in a perfect world that you would have the contract between the uh, brand owner and the third party itself? So you would say they can present orders to you that you would be in privity with? I know that's not in practice what happens a lot, but if you could, is that the best? Yeah, look, in an ideal situation, you have relationships with everyone who's trying to sell your product so that you both have the, the control over how they do it, but also you get the data back. You want to have the, feed, the feedback and the information and the analytics. Which is one of the reasons the reseller doesn't want to give you that. That's their power because those are their customers. I appreciate that delicate dance. So let's switch gears a little bit to a map policy. Maybe you can explain what a map policy is for our viewers that aren't familiar with the term. Right. So map policies, minimum advertised price, were developed to avoid the anti-competitive risks that the antitrust laws uh, focus on in the United States. So for a long time, uh, controlling your downstream retailers or distributors downstream price was prohibited always, per se. Uh, it's still sometimes prohibited per se in certain states. At a federal level, it's a little more of a, of a risk analysis. So a minimum advertised price avoids all those risks by simply saying you must advertise at these prices, but you can sell at any price you want. So the problem we run into is that the leverage is very different with a brand owner going to a big store and some of the smaller players. And so you go to uh, a national major chain, they're going to dictate the PO terms and the like. So they may not agree. Some will. Some will agree to a map policy if it's enforced everywhere because it benefits them, but some will not. And some of the e-com players will actually send bots out to see if the pricing is lower somewhere else and match that pricing. So you can really be affected on that. Is it possible to have a map policy applying to the independents but not to the big ones? Is that a possibility? So the answer is yes. You can apply it to individual types of retailers. Uh, so if you wanted to, say, just apply it to um, to uh, brick-and-mortar stores as opposed to online stores, or vice versa, just apply it to online stores, you could. Um, one of the things about a map policy is that it's typically called a unilateral policy, meaning it's not actually part of your contract. So you enforce this unilaterally. It's a policy that you make known to all of your customers. And then if they don't comply with it, you have certain penalties that you've incorporated into the policy, whether uh, it's, it's that you won't sell to that customer again or sort of less, uh, less strict uh, uh, enforcement. But ultimately, the, the risk you have is that if you've got the big players who are not complying with it and you've got smaller players who are, you may be giving a real advantage to the big player and a disadvantage to the small player. And that's one of those, again, balancing acts that you've got to figure out. Are you getting the benefit of a map policy that you by, intended that you wanted right, right. because that, that's exactly right and you end up with some of the smaller players saying we're just not going to sell your product because we can't make the margin we need to make right or they're they're uh, they deprioritize your product because they look at it and they say well I'm getting creamed by the guy down the down the street with the big brand I can't really compete 
by advertising at your price, but I, I've got to comply, so I'm stuck. So where I've seen some of my clients get in trouble is they have a map policy that applies and they end up having uh, one of the major chains substantially discount their product, let's say on Father's Day. And then the next thing they know, their other online uh, retailer ends up dropping the price. So they end up with a 30% discount in the whole US overnight and they never intended that. And so Father's Day, they, they really end up with no, no revenue at all. So that's sort of the risk on this. Absolutely, I mean, with the, with the, the, the proliferation of bots, the big retailers are, are manipulating their advertised price constantly. Right. Uh, and so you, your ability to, to influence that really has declined. And, and we should point out that a map policy is the advertised price, not the price that's actually sold at. That's the key part of a map policy. And frankly, that's the key risk, is that you accidentally take your advertised price policy and you make it into a sale price policy. And then all of a sudden, you've increased the risk of an antitrust violation. Right. And then on an advertising standpoint, we have had cases where we've had an MSRP where the product's never been sold at that price. And we've had the FTC and, and uh, class actions come after our clients saying that you've never sold at that price. It's not a real price. Absolutely. You've seen a lot of retailers get, get hit with claims like that. If, if you've got a suggested price and you're, particularly if you're promoting discounts off of it and that suggested price was never actually the baseline, it, it has attracted attention. And for those viewers that have seen previous videos, you might remember that we did a presentation on outlets where we had situations where the products were never sold at retail in the first place for that, and then they had a 70% off MSRP. That ended up getting uh, afoul of the law in a lot of places. So it's really important that these prices are honored and actually asked for at some period in time. Agreed, absolutely. So I guess the last question I have, uh, what if I actually really wanted to dictate what the price could be sold for? Could I do that? Could I say you can't sell you have to sell at this price point? Right, so this is the, uh, the challenge for the manufacturer, is if you actually want to dictate the sales price as opposed to the advertised price, there's real risk in putting it into a contract. So if you put it in the contract and it's a binding obligation, that's when you trigger antitrust scrutiny. If it's a policy outside of the contract, and so now we're talking about a unilateral policy that says we only sell to downstream customers that sell at our price, you can manage that in a way that does not violate the antitrust laws, both at the state and the federal level in the United States. The trick there is you've got to implement it very carefully because turning that unilateral policy into a contract is surprisingly easy. Let's just say your sales rep goes out, sees that a, uh, that a retailer is not complying, uh, and says you must comply it's in our contract, well, suddenly you may have just created an agreement that could violate some state and federal antitrust laws. So you've got to train your salespeople right, you've got to have a compliance program in place, and then you can, you can dictate the downstream price. And the way I've seen some of our clients do this is in a de facto basis, where they just sell to all of their parties at the same price, and so they're always making their margin, and then they let the marketplace sort of do it. Like we know some computer companies that do this, they sell at the price and you very rarely get a discount because uh, the margin is what it is. This becomes a real problem 
with some of our international clients that decide that the pricing should be lower or higher in different markets. And that's where a lot of international clients end up getting into trouble, where maybe the price in Morocco is you know, half the price that it is in Japan or China in the US. Mm -hmm. So then it ends up coming back to haunt them because the products become back in the US in their gray market. Absolutely, or if you're trying to sell on your own website and basically competing with your downstream customer's website, your, your retailer's stores, uh, your, you may get undercut on price and not be able to sell on your own website. So you've gotta be able to maintain that brand equity. This is where a, a policy like this can often come into play. Yeah, and where I've seen clients get really creative on this is they have allowed products to be sold on a case-by-case -case basis. I can think of one denim company that allowed a certain style to be sold on the internet, but all the other products weren't. And so they competed on that style, but on the other styles, they had reserved styles for them only or that were in department store only. Very smart way to do it. I see a lot of, of fashion companies do that in particular. Great help today. Really appreciate the advice, Brian. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Fashion Council.